0: This is every Hornets box score. I'm Doug Branson. I'm joined today by Walker Mail. Later, we're going to hear from the founder of Rufus on Fire, the blog on the Charlotte Bobcats, David A. R. Not. He will uh, help us uh, dig into this fourth era of the franchise, the franchise's history, which I'm calling the death of the Bobcats. It takes place from 2010 all the way to the year. 2016 when the Charlotte Hornets came back and made the playoffs under Steve Clifford, uh, that Kimball Walker, Nick Batum, Al Jefferson, Jeremy Lynn playoff series uh, ends era four. So we'll randomly uh, pick a box score in just a moment. Uh, but if you haven't subscribed to the Substack yet, please do. Uh, and we're wrapping all of this programming into locked on Hornets, our summer offerings over the month of August So uh, if you haven't subscribed to Lockdown Hornets yet, wherever you get podcasts, please do. Also on YouTube. So got all of the business out of the way. Walker, thank you for joining me.
1: Yes. As, uh, once again, talking about the Bobcats in some sort of capacity, I I do maybe before you pick the game real quickly, I did want to talk a little bit about why you defined the era the way you did. And I think you got it right. But some people, you might argue the death of the Bobcats were going into the Hornets era. So it's not necessarily like the death of the Bobcats. You would think maybe it starts right at the beginning of when the Charlotte Hornets, they come back but you decided to go a little bit further, right? Like you actually do have a couple of the beginning Hornets years. So maybe that Bobcats mantra infiltrates the Hornets actually coming back. And I think you got it right, but was that kind of what you were thinking? Just, it just felt like as far as performance goes, this is the, you felt like this era had a lot in common.
0: Well, I think part of it was to split up the games. There was a little bit of, of practicality to it all, which is I wanted an equal ish number of games in all of the eras that way. When we did the random selections, as we moved through this process, you had a sort of equally weighted kind of situation going on. But so I started era three, the Bobcats, uh, I call it the Bobcats or the Bobcat Cometh, whatever you want to call it, 2004.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) want to call it that. I want to call it the Ladder. You want to call it the Bobcat Bobcat Cometh?
0: All right. So the Bobcat Cometh is era three. It goes from 04, obviously the start of the Bobcats, to that playoff series. They they where they they went down 4-0 in that playoff series that Larry Brown Stack Jack uh got got the Bobcats into the playoffs after uh a, a lot of heartbreak for the franchise. They finally get to the playoffs and there seemed to be some hope. And, and I'm going to talk with with David Arnott about this. There seems to be some hope for the franchise. And then I feel like that next season, the 2010-2011 season, dashed a lot of that hope. You had Larry Brown getting the ejector seat and uh, Paul Silas coming in. It ultimately led to 7-59, and then Steve Clifford kind of brought the franchise back into some kind of relevancy, a second playoff trip, but by that time... I feel like that next season after that first playoff run was really the death of the Bobcats. It's like, all right, this team, this team just can't get right.
1: Yeah, it's almost, it's funny, the death of the Bobcats, it sounds so horrifying, but also it, it depends on the, ha- the glass half full or half empty thing. The death of the Bobcats, it was brutal during that time, but also we are moving back to our beloved The glass was full of poison. It wasn't back. half empty.
0: It wasn't half full. It was It was full to the brim of liquid poison.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't. It, yeah, like it, it depends on if you think it's, is it half full of poison or is it half empty of poison? Um, Either way, it's pretty negative. So let's dive right in. What game? All are we right, be let's pick there? a game. Yeah. Let's do
0: let's, it. We're going to the bees machine, our uh, uh, handcrafted homemade machine to randomly select a box score. All I have to do is pull the lever, which we have nicknamed the Jimmy, and I will do that right now. There you go, it's going, it's going, it's going, (laughs) it's
1: Perfect, perfect. Um, Now I can't see you right now just because sometimes that happens, but if you'll allow me to see you, then did we get an actual hard copy this time from the bees machine or are we still trying to save the earth and do that? I I told
0: you I'm saving. That's what I told you last episode. I'm saving the earth. No more, no more paper outputs. It's all led. It's all technology. Now it's telling me right now what the game is going to be. And it is going to be November 20th, 2010, the Charlotte Bobcats versus the Phoenix Suns. All right, to that season that I just mentioned, 2010 and 2011. Now this was November, so that means uh Larry Brown is still the head coach. We have not gotten to Larry Brown's unceremonious uh ejection from the franchise and into the second Paul Silas era. The Hornets start out five and eight off of that playoff run, but they do get the win here 123 to 105 against the Phoenix Suns at six and seven. So let's let's look at this box score and then we can kind of maybe poke around at I kind of set this season up a little bit before we pick the box score. We can set it up a little so, bit more after that.
1: Okay. Now, first mm-hmm. seeing this this line, right? First okay. seeing Charlotte beating Phoenix in 2010. Handily. Yes. Very handily. Um, I was at this game. Oh, I actually, oh, okay. I actually, I attended this game. I was a junior in high school at the time. And so, or no, I was a senior in high school. I was a senior. And so, yeah, me. And so my buddy, his dad actually got tickets through work. They were awesome seats. They were right behind the basket. They were, you know, like, maybe 10, 15 rows up. So we we're very close to the action and Doug. So th- the only reason I remember this game, cause I-, I went to a decent amount of Bobcats games, especially in high school. We thought it was cool to go up. How Charlotte, many would you say? Uh, how many would you
0: say? How many games would you say you <sighs> attended?
1: We went a lot junior and senior year just cause we could drive. So we did that quite a bit. I probably like combined, I don't know, 30 games, you know, like, Maybe twenty five, something like that. But yeah, so that was a lot for us. You know, driving it's not like to we town is
0: some teen, some teenagers driving to the town. You know Uptown. that? Oh, we so were cool, cool, man.
1: Hey, let's be crazy. Let's let's buy tickets today and go up the same day because Whoa. we're bad, man. We did that with LeBron when he came to town when he played for the Miami Heat. We looked it up in class. We were in biology where it's like, let's just buy tickets and head up there. So we did that a lot. The only Wait reason I now, know this- hold
0: on, that says Go everything on. you need to know about the yes. Bobcats that you could LeBron correct. coming to town and you could look up tickets same day and grab them. That's all you That's really correct. need to know.
1: And LeBron destroyed him too. I mean, he, he went off, he, he put on an excellent performance. He always does. Right. Gets back at MJ. But the only reason I know this game is because something significant happened. I remember that Steven Jackson, he got a triple double, and it's the Whoa. first one. I, I remember it. Yes, it there was a triple-double count once we realized it was in play. And Steven Jackson got the first triple double in wow. Bobcat's history. Yes, I got to see history. However crazy it was that it took a long time for us to see a triple-double with the Bobcats. That's I good was there. history. I seen it.
0: All right, yeah. So here it is: 24 points, 10 assists. And ten rebounds for Stack Jack on ten of thirteen shooting. For those counting yeah, at home, that's nearly seventy-seven percent from the field. Four of seven from three, and he he added two blocks and two steals to go along with that. Wowza! That is a that's not only a triple double. I mean, yeah. that's that's a hell of a game. And i I need to look up some history. On triple doubles in Charlotte Hornets, like or the franchise's history, but I'd say this is pretty lucky because I don't, I think there's around thirty. So we picked thirty of twenty five hundred games. The Bees machine delivered well, a triple double. That's that's astounding. Pro- I don't know what the actual probability of that is. I'll look it up. But it's it's gotta be. Well, I
1: mean, so you're you're saying you think there's like thirty total since we've had basketball back in Charlotte after they left? Is that what you're saying?
0: I think, so. well, no, I think 30 total old Hornets, okay. Bobcats, and oh, I don't know. Thir- it's somewhere. I think it's around 30. I'll look it up.
1: Well, I, I mean, it, but
0: if it, oh, well, let's get the total and then I'll put it in the calculator.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, LaMelo already has what five or six to his name. Oh. I he, he does, he does not have the most in franchise history. I think there's a guy that has one more. Um, maybe, maybe that's true, but yeah, I think Lamelo has, you know, he's got a a decent amount he's got a good portion of the all-time triple doubles.
0: All right. So I'm on the, this is, this is the, I don't know why it doesn't list out the players here. Uh, Come on, stat muse. All right. (laughs) So there's the, the, I could count those up, but let's look at this. Okay, so Anthony Mason May, still leads sense. the franchise in yep. number of triple doubles at seven. Lamello is at six. Nick Batum is at five. Larry Johnson has five. Baron Davis has three. Kimba Walker has two. Kendall Gill has two. Terry Rozier has one. Steven Jackson has one. Obviously, Boris Diaw gets one. Okay. <laughs> Boris getting the triple double as a bottom. He should have
1: had more. And we'll get. I'll, I'll get into that later. But, I mean, right. yeah, we so, it feels like he should have had more.
0: All right so mash gets one as well to round things out. Um so let me let me just do a quick count here. So 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 17 18 19
1: 20 21 22 23 24 25 <laughs> 26 27 28 29 30. Yeah, nice <laughs> on call. Yeah, Right on right on the dot. Oh,
0: 30 triple doubles in Charlotte Hornets history. Certainly uh, LaMelo ball is going to eclipse that in, yeah. the, in these next, in this next season.
1: And and LaMelo and Mace making up close to half. So you had 13 between the two, I believe. And so, yeah, you know, those two guys, man.
0: So if I do the, if I do the probability on this 30, there's about 20, we'll just do 20, 2,500, but there's actually been more games than that. But yeah, I mean, we had a 1% chance of hitting a triple-double game. So the Bees machine delivering big time.
1: Yeah, this is a great one.
0: And as I look through this list of triple-doubles, and if you're watching this on YouTube, on the Lockdown Hornets YouTube channel, you can look along. But as I look at this, a couple of things stand out to me. Uh, of the triple doubles, not a ton of like super high scoring, triple doubles, LaMelo's triple double that he had against the Pacers. Just an awesome them. game. Yeah. Believe that was LaMelo's you kind of have to click in here. Unfortunately on stat Muse to look at this.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I I'm pretty sure it was LaMelo who had that against the sirs because it was only, it was only Terry, right? Cause Terry's the only other one on this team that has a triple double. So,
0: and I think his, I'll figure out which one he had. Um, so, but, You know, if you look through here, I'm looking at, you know, Kendall Gill had the very first one. I know that for a fact. His was 11, 10, and 12. Uh, That was the first one in franchise history on November 18th, 1995. Hopefully we hit that game at some point. Kendall Gill's first triple-double. Yeah, 28 points. I'm looking for high-scoring ones. 31, I think that's a – 2000, that'd be a Mace. Maybe a Um, Mashburn? No, I think Mashburn's was 2002 against the Golden State Warriors – um, let's look at, okay. This gives me the game. Oh, did he? Perfect. So this was a, it was Diddy. You saw
1: that? Oh, I just saw his face at the top. I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Baron well,
0: had 28, 10 and 11 in the 2002 game. So one of the Oh one games I think was mash. Um, so 31 points, 14 and 11 on 47% shooting. So not a ton of high scoring ones, but I'm looking at this one, the Phoenix game, the one that stack Jack had 24, 10, 10, Two and two, uh, two steals, two blocks, uh, 76, 70, nearly 77% shooting. It was the highest field goal percentage of any triple-double in Hornets uh, history.
1: On double-digit attempts, too. This isn't like some five-for-fiver, you know. He, Where he, he gets shot. a lot of it at the line, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just went off and helped the Bobcat. You know, I think, it, and Boris Diaw had a really good percentage if one would go back to the uh, box score. So, yeah, just took it to him. A nice dominant performance from the Bobcats in this one. Not, not going to be able to say that a whole lot, I don't
0: think. I mean, maybe one of the best triple doubles in Hornets history with the two. I mean, you add the two and two because you got, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I think that 29 10, 13, one and one from LaMelo against the Pacers, you have to put that one in there.
1: Well, the one um, where you get four steals too. So if you're if you're just gonna go off triple double and yeah. you actually you know so who's you know four steals I, I saw it there close to the bottom too. Whoever got it in two thousand, um, yeah, I mean Lamelo is gonna put up some pretty staggering numbers as we go and already has.
0: Yeah, so this one in two thousand, that's gonna be Mace as well, I think. Nope, that was, no, was did it again. A B- Diddy. It,
1: so it shows the yeah, it shows the guy at the top, and so yeah, you know Baron doing it again. Not many oh, points
0: though. Um, yeah. 14, 10 and 11, four steals on, on that game. But this is not about those, bo- this is not about those Hornets. This is about the Bobcats. So let's go back to the,
1: we can't do every Hornets box score in one episode. We got to no, take well, it. I'm trying, it's really man, tough. it's just fun
0: to bounce <laughs> around. It's just too fun. All right. Let's, so we, we know the triple double. We know that. Let's look at the rest of the lineup. Boris DL, as you said, he took the most attempts in this game. 11 of 17, four of eight, uh 26 points, six assists, two rebounds in this game. DJ Augustine was six of 10 from the field for future 16 Hornet? points.
1: Question mark future Hornet again. Could maybe. be, you never know. <laughs> no, no, nobody really talking about him though. No, no, they're not.
0: Uh, Gerald Wallace, uh, of course the, um, uh, well, you know, he was the team leader for a long time, but I think stack Jack sort of took over that role. Um, you know, when they went to the playoffs or at least maybe shared that role. With he's, mo- he's
1: more vocal leader. But G- Gerald, Gerald, I mean, was just all over the place. He was called Crash for a reason.
0: 14 points, four rebounds, two assists on six of eleven shooting. And then Nazi Muhammad only t- oh, the the old ten minute start. Love that. The old Borrego special. Little 10 minutes start for is, Nazi.
1: Yes, he is. He is absolutely doing the fist pump in the air thing right now.
0: One of four from the field, uh, two points four rebounds. Uh, Tyrus Thomas is that, actually, look, get, that's getting the, the big name. numbers here.
1: Uh, yeah, we, we know it did not work out for Tyrus Thomas here in Charlotte after the contract, but this game, this game, he made you believe maybe just maybe we could get something out of him,
0: man. How about Matt Carroll getting uh seven shots up in 12 minutes? <laughs> just, taking, <laughs> just really taking advantage of his moment. Seven points. Five assists, two rebounds, two steals. Still, Good. Still
1: boxer. involved. Still involved in the organization. Just saw him when I was, uh, you know, covering some practices before they left for summer league. Saw Matt Carroll. It's funny too. Like I, I did not realize this, just some of the names slipped through the cracks, but I also saw Donnell Marshall there, and I had no clue he was involved with the Charlotte Organization. Just didn't know, right? I I know I'm supposed to cover the team. You guys can make fun of me all you want to. I just didn't know. And so I saw him walking and I was like, wait, that's Danielle Marshall. And I asked Sam Purley, who works for Hornets.com. He's like, Yeah, that's Danielle, man. He's been working for maybe a couple of years, which just no clue. So that was a nice treat.
0: Uh, And I forgot to mention on the Steven Jackson piece, you know, when you're considering whether this triple-double is one of the best in Hornets history, because it's a stiff competition. I mean, Mace put up some ridiculous triple-doubles. LaMelo is obviously putting them up on seemingly um, a monthly basis now. But I have to mention that in this game, Steven Jackson was a plus nine. Which, to me, a Bobcats plus nine is like a Hornets plus 18. It's like dog years. You know I mean? You really have to get a positive plus minus for a Bobcats year.
1: You at least double it.
0: You got to double it. (laughs) More on this box score ahead. But first, I want to, for the second straight episode, go out to David A. Arnott. He was the founder of RufusOnFire.com, what would become the SB Nation blog on the Charlotte Bobcats, what you now know today as at the Hive, to get his perspective on this game, uh, Stack Jack, and his triple-double. And I also want to take this opportunity to remind you that this podcast is a listener, reader, viewer-supported podcast. No ads on this here podcast, at least in the Every Hornet's Box Score podcast feed. So uh, to help support us, you can sign up at everyhornetsboxscore.com. Now, you can sign up for free, and this podcast will remain free. Uh, but if you want access to my game notes for all of the games in this upcoming season, these future box scores, then please consider contributing uh, either $5 per month or $50 for the year to help uh, keep making this, help me keep making this content for you. Okay, with that, let's get to David on the Bobcats. And I don't know if I told you pre-interview, but how this kind of all works is that we're going to... To randomly select a box score from five different eras of the Charlotte Hornets, I've broken it up into early Hornets, late Hornets, uh, the Bobcats, the death of the Bobcats, and then uh, this this new era of Hornets basketball. So, uh, this is the de- uh, this this lands in the death of the Bobcats. It's after that first playoff series. We're in 2010, November 20th, 2010. Uh, interesting game in that Steven Jackson records the first a triple double in, uh, Charlotte Bobcats history. It came, uh, five seasons into that run. Uh, that a pretty long time for a triple double to come along, but Steven Jackson notches it. Do you remember, I, I have the uh, Rufus on fire article pulled up here. I'll screen share that in a minute, but, uh, what do you just remember off the, off the jump about that game, if anything?
2: So I don't remember that game at all. Great. Um, I did look up what I wrote. I was fascinated by how uh by how vehement I was that Nazir Nazir Muhammad should not play. That's what um, I was
0: going to point out. Yeah, I'm going to get this up on the screen. This is this is pretty interesting. Um uh, you you really went to town on Nazir Muhammad. Was that do you think in hindsight do you feel that was fair? <laughs> oh,
2: so so like he he has a reputation and I and I have no reason to disbelieve the reputation for being like a what quintessential good guy and like the guy that a guy that you want to have on your team but i also feel like it was um you can if you if you i kind of remember some of the frustrations with larry brown coming through um i can read that at least that it's one of those situations where you know um i wanted i I was informed a lot by video games, actually, and in loving the seven seconds or less sons and the mm. idea that, you know, you ought to play small and just run and those sorts of things. And Larry Brown was not that guy, you know? And so it, it that that's where I think my frustrations came through. Also, Dominic McGuire. I mean, he became, he became a guy that, again, probably undeservedly so given, because uh, I don't know who he is. I don't know him personally or anything. But I just felt like, why are we why are the Bobcats bringing, bringing on somebody like this when we have so many, other th- so many other things going on? Like, what are we really doing here? That was the broad, broad sense that I had uh, in that era uh, of the Bobcats.
0: Especially after that playoff run, right? I mean, it seems yes. like there might have been... Uh, well, you, you can tell me. Uh, what, was there a sense after that playoff season that, hey, okay, got off to a really rough start. Um, you know, a lot of interesting things happen. Uh, felton is is gone now um Melvin Eli got shot at I mean there was just a lot of weird things that happened around this franchise that we but the the playoffs did it did it seem like that okay maybe we could get something going here and and then we and then of course this season happens
2: so in retrospect I think as an older person I think that was way too harsh on the people who uh were just happy to be in the playoffs mm-hmm. I think that there's value in trying to win, even if um, it may not be the best thing for trying to win consistently in the future. And that in that balance, in that sense of balance, um, I was way far on this at the time, I was way far on the side of like, why are we maxing out all of our, all of our resources and trying to get the seven seed? And so there was a little bit of resentment that I don't think was was really fair at that time in my, in my perspective. Um, and I've also chilled out a lot to the point where, you know, it's, I think I would appreciate just the kind of weirdness that they had on that team a little bit more. You know, like the Boris Diath experiment is just in retrospect really wild, that they took this guy, who was originally supposed to be a six, eight point guard with Atlanta and then got turned into sort of like a point center with the Suns. And then Larry Brown got him. And of all people, Larry Brown was the one who had him start shooting threes. Like that seems to me something to enjoy and. Could have focused a lot more on that than being mad that well now we're going to be a seven seed and we're going to be a we're going to be a seven seed at best for the foreseeable future. What are we even doing here? Like that that's mopey. I should have taken that sort of criticism to heart a little bit more
0: well but i think it it is reflective of again some of those early draft mistakes uh, that put them into that position so they didn't and some of it was mistakes and some of it was just bad luck uh, you know as we reflect on some of those early hornets years walker and i have often discussed how the the lottery luck that that team had was so uh, the, the ripple effects of that were so apparent as the years went on and even even all of that luck that that early hornets team had they still didn't manage to get to an eastern conference finals and so you know the the amount of things that need to fall into place to have that kind of playoff success much less sustained playoff success is just insane and and i think you're hitting on it there that we don't we don't appreciate that enough. That 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 you know, we look at a, a situation like Toronto and go, well, "Why can't that be us?" Well, because it's really hard and also very lucky some of the things that they had happen to them uh, to get Toronto to where where they were. So um, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting things uh, to discuss in in that arena. Also, Boris Diao owns one of those uh, Bobcats triple doubles as well. So he goes he goes down into the history books. Um, what do you think? people should remember about the Bobcats or a better, I think a more interesting question for people that are watching this that may have skipped the Bobcats era completely or have become new Hornets fans via LaMelo ball or Kimball Walker or whatever. What do you think they should know about that Bobcats era?
2: I think that they should know that even though It was a Wobadon team, a team that the city, fairly or not, you might say, didn't take to and many people didn't really want. Um, And there was all sorts of weirdness around the owner and his relationship with the city and all of that. There was still people who genuinely loved the team, for who they were, uh, as an, as, a, as their own entity. Um, I think it would be a, it would not be the worst thing in the world for people to think of that the Bobcats as a, as a sort of, um, a curio, you know, like, like people think of the spirit of St. Louis or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's also one of those things where I think that it's for the best that they've gone i I've, again i've moved on to this point where it's like it's for the best that they're the hornets hornets make more sense for the city it's much more beloved it's much more of a of a um of a historical brand for the city that is much more is much more tied into what the what the city what the people want um but at the same time i guess what i would say is that uh you know it's i don't want them to be forgotten i think that there is a I think that there is a uh, how to put this when you if if they're if they are relegated if the team the Bobcats is relegated to that status of curiosity I don't want the players people like Gerald Wallace uh, mm-hmm. especially more than anybody else to be treated as like oh he he was just kind of like on this weird team that you know so I think that those guys deserve a lot a lot more respect than that. Who
0: would you, do you have a list? Do you have a list of people? You put Gerald Wallace there who deserves uh, to, to be thought of in that way. Does Boris Diaw make that list?
2: Uh, I, Boris Diaw's career to me is, is uh, it's much, he's less tied to the Bobcats than to, than to the other teams. Um, I, I Does feel Does Tyrus
0: like- Thomas make that list? Once I, he, he may have gotten into a fight with Paul Silas. Does he make that list? <laughs>
2: I don't know i always still think of tyrus thomas as a bull so i don't know how i don't know how that works out i feel like that the uh the guy that i will always think of a bobcat as a bobcat is jared dudley you know like yeah. he he went on to a long career you know that i was super happy to see him all those all those years because from the beginning i and all my friends who were going to games were saying like this guy jared dudley this is what we love about the best about watching these games and going to these games because we know 99% chance he's not going to make an all-star team, but he's going to have a long career. And when he did, it was just so gratifying to feel like, Oh yeah, we were right about that. And we were very happy that he was on our team for when he was.
0: Yep. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, the owner, Michael, Michael Jordan, uh, was, w- would take over during this, um, uh, during a uh, few, few years prior to this period. Um, so, I don't know how much you pay attention to the team now, but I mean, do you look at anything that has has transpired since the Bobcats transition to the Hornets? Do do any of your experiences covering the team during this time inform what you're seeing now at
2: all? Uh, I don't think so. I think that it's, uh, if anything, my perspective on the outside is someone who no longer can name every single player and every on on the rosters on NBA rosters anymore. Um, My experience is that I feel like that Jordan is primarily letting his management do things more. Mitch Kupchak is, is is putting his uh, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like, I don't read about Jordan meddling. That's good
0: enough. Today, today, that's anything that feels true. That's good enough. That's the bar you have to clear on the
2: internet. Right. It just has to feel true. Like it's, it's definitely a vibes thing. Um, but like my whole thing, my whole thing with the, with the Hornets now is that does that I've make been- you,
0: does that, does that make you sad? Do, do you, do you ever like sit in the shower occasionally, like sit in the, sh- not stand in the shower, sit in the shower and think about weep thinking, wow, if Michael had just let his management take care of things during the Bobcats era, they might still be the Bobcats. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I don't know. <laughs> I might, I might be crawling in the shower if that, if I were starting to think that
0: (laughs) Uh, David, I appreciate it. I hope we can have you back uh, because there there are a lot more Bobcats games to get to. Uh, So we'd love to have you back sometime to uh, reminisce about uh, these different uh, years and eras that the Bobcats went through, but we appreciate the time you gave us today.
2: Of course, anytime, anytime.
1: <laughs> I mean, everybody, right? Everybody got to uh, experience some good numbers in the plus Everybody body. ate
0: in this one. This was a blowout. Mm-hmm. I mean, they ran them out of the gym. Let's look at uh, the lineup for the Phoenix Suns. This, these are your 2010-11 Phoenix Suns, led by Channing Frye, Goran Dragic, Grant Hill in this one. 8 of 17 mm-hmm. for 23 points. He kind of led the way in this one. Hito Turkoglu, uh Jay Rich. Uh, In this one, Josh Childress, Hakeem Warwick, Jared Dudley, former Bobcat, and Earl Clark.
1: I saw Jared Dudley in a Friday Fridays in Indianapolis one time and said, what's up to him? (laughs) That's my Jared Dudley story. I went, I saw him just, cool. he was hanging out. I think it was probably a Pacers workout at the time, but I went up and said, Hey man, loved your Boston college years. Awesome to meet you. And then just, I didn't want to do the autograph thing. I was scared to death to ask like people for autographs when I was a kid, just because I didn't want to bother him. But I did want to just like, Hey, I like you bounce. So that's what happened when I saw Dudley.
0: Let's go to the paper. That's my uh, news. It's very boy. good. I like it. Boy that's boy very voice. good.
1: I, I hear newspaper when you do that voice.
0: Let's go to the paper. I've got the <laughs> Charlotte observer archive for this game up. Uh, here's some observations from the goat. Rick Bennell. funny line from Phoenix suns coach Alvin Gentry pregame. When I asked him what it's like to lose point guard, Steve Nash to injury. Uh, he didn't play in this game quote from Alvin Gentry, like being married to then divorced from Halle Berry Gentry replied quickly adding, not that I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great one. Yeah, that's very good. Gintry, what's with this by picture? Of,
0: by the way, what's with this picture of Steve Nash where he looks like the Elephant Man? Like he looks like a what is? What is this oh, picture? No. It
1: looks like a monster. He does. That is a <laughs> that is an unfortunate picture, even in black and like white. Like a snicket. Yes, that does not hide the details well enough. I don't know what injury he suffered at that point, but yeah, that was that was bad. um Yeah, also Alvin Gentry, I think a mountaineer, by the way, Appalachian State. Uh, I think he went there, maybe played basketball. But anyways, just a local name. Also, there's Gerald Henderson in the papers there, too, 2010. So I guess he was a uh, rookie at this point.
0: uh, Well, I'll have to look it up. With Dominic McGuire, stress fracture of the left shin, active for the first time this season, the Bobcats were as close to full health as they've been at any time this season. Only Gerald Henderson's sore left knee was out. So okay. obviously injuries plaguing them a little bit early on. Um, there was an interesting, so there were some observations as well from Rick above the game cap. And there was an interesting thing that I saw while you were, um, while you were talking and I was looking this up.
1: Was I, I was oh, going on my thrilling Jared Dudley story.
0: You, yeah. I was, yeah. It's meeting Jared Dudley on Fridays. I mean, just the, <laughs> the kind of stuff that this podcast is known for. <laughs> Um, it says, uh, yeah, yeah. Steven Jackson was on pace by this game. Now, again, this is game 13 for the Bobcats. He was on pace to get teed up, uh, 30 times.
1: (laughs) Oh, Jack. I mean, Steven Jackson was awesome, man. Love Steven Jackson here in Charlotte. Got I mean, so, you know, I, I have my loyalties, especially at that time. Right now it's more so you know, pretty exclusively Hornets. But I grew up a Pacers and Hornets fan, you know, because I had family in Indianapolis. I wanted to, you know, root for both teams. So I got to see Steven Jackson when he was there with the Pacers, that team that eventually got dismantled because of the malice at the palace would have been a a title favorite possibly. And then I got to see him here in Charlotte, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, but uh, this was during a period of time in the NBA where they were really trying to clean up a lot of the, I don't know, like just moaning and groaning and cursing and tomfoolery that was happening. So there were a lot of texts being handed out and uh, stack Jack was certainly the recipient of, of a few of them. So, uh, just a, a little wrinkle in this season. Also another wrinkle was that and I do kind of remember this, uh, at checking in on the Bobcats was, there was a little bit of that classic Bobcats misery of watching someone else go and be successful somewhere else, and that was happening with Raymond Felton. If you look around the league, there's, here's a report from New York. His new team, the Knicks. Former Bobcat Raymond Felton scored a career high 35 points on 13 of <laughs> 17 shooting. He also got a triple. Speaking of triple doubles, Raymond Felton got one of his two triple doubles, like literally, like right after that next season when he uh, left the Bobcats. And if you remember, Raymond Felton. They extend him the qualifying offer, making him a restricted free agent. I don't think anyone else gave him an offer. So he signs the qualifying offer. He comes back to the Bobcats, and then the Bobcats don't sign him. So it was just like like a terrible ending.
1: So, all right, I know we're looking at the paper, but it is a perfect segue into my rabbit hole theme, my rabbit hole for this specific show. Okay, so you mentioned... How there was this weird, not even weird thing, just a thing with the Bobcats where they would leave the franchise in however way, what would, however way possible. And then they'd be go be successful. So I had to limit it down. So I call this Doug from Bobcats to contracts, players who would <laughs> okay. leave and become your <laughs> segment
0: names are becoming legendary. Well, we had yeah. Jermaine event.
1: Yep. Uh, nothing but Nalon. And now here we have from Bobcats to contracts, players who would leave and become key factors for championship teams soon after. So okay. let's start. Jason, like, so just kind of want to put some rules here. Jason Capono, he's on the original team, would yeah, win but, a title with the Heat in 06, but he never heat, contributed. You know? So it doesn't count. Never played But, he won, but he won a, didn't he win a three point contest? Oh, for, yes. Yes. He won two, I believe. I m- maybe back to back. Neither as a, neither as a Bobcat. Uh, yeah, correct. So he would win a championship, but never got any run. Same thing with Adam Morrison. Classic, right? Goes. But I think to- we
0: count Capone. That's what I'm saying. We count Capone because it's not like he won a championship. or It's not like he was a, a key piece to winning a championship, yeah. but he won stuff. He it's did. the thing was you can't win anything. If you're in the orange and white, you had to but go you somewhere to else go through
1: hell in order to get to heaven. And you had to go through the Bobcats, <laughs> but the next year <laughs> you would Miller win event. a championship. Yeah, that's what would happen. So Adam Morrison, same thing, never contributed, but won a couple of titles with the Lakers. And so then we get into actually guys like playing a little bit. Eddie house plays 13 games for the Bobcats in 04. A little bit of time passes, so not immediately after, but then he wins that 08 championship with Boston, had some moments in their final series against the Lakers, similar with Shannon Brown. Shannon Brown played 30 games for Charlotte in 08-09, then would go to the Lakers. That same year, goes to L.A., wins a championship, contributes in their run to those two titles, doesn't really play in the final series, so make of that what you will, but at least wins after he leaves the Bobcats. Okay, here's what really comes to into effect. Boris Diaw, one of the more classic examples, mm-hmm. leaves Charlotte, mm-hmm. requested leave from that team, got bought out in 2012, wasn't eventually traded, but does not want to play there anymore. Falls out of favor with Paul Silas, doesn't play for like three weeks, goes to the Spurs. Okay. And I, I'm allowing you some time here to search his page here. I know you I got to pull that goes to the Spurs. Doug is just an absolute huge yeah. part of those finals teams. Totally plus minus was bananas in the title win in 2014 plays every game in the finals plays over 32 minutes per contest, most impactful buyout option, like maybe ever for a finals for a finals team for a team that won a championship. Like I I wonder if there was a more impactful buyout guy that would play for a championship team immediately after Uh, But I would not,
0: I'm going to say, Yes, he was impactful, but he probably his best individual years, strangely, because I think a lot of people remember him from his run in Phoenix and they remember him from his run in San Antonio, but his, but, but his best individual years were as a member of, of the Charlotte Bobcats. And it's kind of an amazing uh, uh, story about how, you know, he turned his career around in, in
1: Charlotte. Oh, so so he ended, it was just such a, a sour ending. Did not want to be a part of the losing team anymore. Got huge. Paul Silas was not about that life. Didn't play him, right? Whole, like, yeah, there was a yeah. whole
0: fat Boris DL kind For of sure. joke amongst the fan base.
1: Well, I mean, and he was most improved player of the year with Phoenix. And so if you're just talking about hollow numbers, maybe. he's got the I,
0: original. By the way, he's, I don't know if he, his name came up in the whole James Harden uh, issue where he got really fat to try to get his mm-hmm. way out of Houston, but like Boris Diaw was the creator yeah. of that move. <laughs> well, there may have been somebody before that him I, that we're just unaware of, a predecessor. Uh, oh, y- I'm you know, sure a, a food uh, a food predecessor. I don't know, um, but. <laughs>
1: A food yeah, processor, the,
0: a food processor. Uh, yeah, that's kind
1: of where I was trying to go. Yeah. So, so yeah, but Boris, the, the weird thing is Boris, I, I don't feel like his body changed all that much with San Antonio, but was out there playing huge minutes and being a, a big time contributor. So, so that's a bad one. Boris Diaw goes and wins a title with the Spurs, you know, plays 30 minutes a game, just huge for them. Right. Sean Livingston, who's on this team appeared in this game. He's the guy that kind of, you know, made this rabbit hole happen. Sean Livingston played for Charlotte in 2010, 2011, but mm-hmm. then, and so a little time passes, but becomes a three-time champ with the warriors years later. It starts in 2014, 2015. You had the same diaO effect, not as many minutes in that final series, but right. huge impact. Keycog. off of the bench. Yeah. Keycog. Huge. Right. So that's Sean Livingston, the worst one of all, in my opinion, Boris DL. You could argue he's the worst. Doug Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler plays for the Bobcats in two thousand nine, two thousand ten.
0: We'll get to him at some point, don't you worry.
1: So, so he plays in the year before this. Starts twenty seven games out of the fifty one played. That's it. Do you want to hear the trade that took place here? Gets Uh, traded along with Alexis. Tell me anyway, Alexis, Alexis. Alexis. I think maybe it's a Ajenza Johnson. Yeah. Gets traded along with the Lexus to the Dallas Mavericks for Matt Carroll coming back home. Eric Dampier, Eduardo Nahara and cash considerations that year. He gets traded to Dallas Chandler starts 74 games <laughs> for the title winner. Second team, all defense. Would go on to be an all-star after that, continue to rack up defensive wins, defensive player of the year, even after that. But that year with Dallas starts every game, plays 40 minutes per contest against the Miami heat, you know, completely revamps their defense wins a championship. And there you go. Like that, that's the list of Bobcats players that would move on and eventually be a key cog in some of these title runs for teams.
0: Well, it just goes to show you that this franchise has had a really, um, bad history with the country of France, uh, Boris DL, obviously <laughs> that didn't end well, Alexis Agensa, that was yeah. awful.
1: Well, uh, I mean, if you wanted Rudy Gobert and never got him, that certainly would enhance that argument as well. Just never could get the stifle tower. Yeah. the not- Tony, pa- Tony, the Tony Parker. Parker experience was yeah. fine.
0: It was fine. This is okay. You know, he didn't, yeah. he didn't do anything. It was a nice compliment for, for that particular we, season, but it didn't go anywhere. We Nick Batum, Nick Batum being the obvious one.
1: Oh yeah. Work out well. Yeah, no, you're right. I did not realize the problem. What was, was as big as it is to Tony Parker. We had kind of like a six man of the year combo for a couple of weeks. That was all it lasted, <laughs> but we had it for a couple of weeks.
0: Well, that's a Kelly Oubre then six man of the it year is. for a couple of weeks. That's a, that's pulling a Kelly Oubre.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He went like a month and then we quickly moved on from that.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, I'm trying to look at anything else that stands out. I mean, not like they just didn't, you know, the Suns didn't get anything from the bench in this game. Akeem Warwick dropped 11. Josh Childers had six, but I mean, this was all about the, the starting unit for the Phoenix Suns. and Channing Fry had 11 on 42% shooting. Uh, Nobody shot the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody shot the ball particularly well, pretty, pretty high paced game, even you know, for this era.
1: Well, this is uh, you know, so I, I believe this is right before the Suns would trade Turkaloo, Richardson, and maybe somebody else f- to the Magic for Vince Carter. So if we're in 2010, this is right at the this is right at the time where Vince starts to be a journeyman. So you know he's with Orlando. Those are probably the last years there. are starting to milk out some of the prime, and then he's gone. And then, he, oh, so this is the trade. Okay. So it happens this year. It might happen later on. Cool. So, yeah, this and, and so Turgaloo goes back to the Magic, having spent time like one year with the Raptors before, um, and then goes back to Phoenix and then goes back to Orlando. Mikhail Petris might have been a part of that trade. Not sure, but yeah. So, right before that trade happened.
0: Oh, uh, interesting assistant coaching staff for the Phoenix Suns, Bill Cartwright, who was the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. When they had the final regular season game against the first run Charlotte Hornets that I attended, um, I remember seeing Bill Cartwright in his big old booty in one of those big old booties. Okay. Um, <laughs> no Gillespie, who I feel like has some connection to Charlotte, am I right? No, nope, I'm wrong. Um, Maybe. Igor uh, Kokoskov, who uh, who had Suns. a yeah. would later have a cup of coffee as the head coach of the Suns before mm-hmm. getting ejected into the Sun. And then uh, this uh, little-known guy named Dan Marley,
1: Dan the Man, Thunder Dan, <laughs> Thunder
0: Dan, <laughs> was, a, was spent four years as an assistant coach, and has my, no it, other connection to the Phoenix Suns.
1: In an old man story, my my dad absolutely loves a Bill Cartwright story where he talks about. So, like, Dad played college ball, and I think it was like, I, it might have been. I think it was during the time you could not dunk. Right? They outlawed dunking. You weren't allowed to do it. And Bill Cartwright played for San Francisco, and so there's a story about him going for a layup, and one of the referees calls him for a dunk. And Bill Cartwright, Bill Cartwright gets you know a technical, argues it, say no, I didn't dunk it, it was just a layup. The official not having any of it, he gets called for it, whatever, right? So Bill Cartwright gets the ball on the low post block. The next play that he's allowed to play, so dominant at San Francisco, drop step two-hand thunder Daryl Dawkins slam just destroys it goes right to the ref's fa- face and says now that's a bleeping dunk and then he walks off and gets ejected from the game and so that's <laughs> one of my dad's favorite book it's a it's an awesome story man it's that's a, a cool good book Car- Car- like,
0: you know in the pantheon of Bill Cartwright stories that's yes. a, an amazing Bill Cartwright story yeah uh, this was had to be a miserable time to be a Phoenix Suns fan because you go 40 and 42 in 2010, 2011. You follow it up with 33 and 33. You're just miserably in the middle. You, you've you got uh, Steve Nash at kind of close to the end of the road. Uh, Grant Hill, absolutely at the end of the road. Vince Carter at the end of the road. Um, yeah, that,
1: that was like the very beginning of the end for Vince. Yeah, it was sad. That's like my favorite player of all time. And I remember when it was struggling a little bit with the magic. That was... Remember that was the end of of that Dwight Howard magic run. Dwight Howard would soon be traded to the Lakers, and um, just a dominant regular season team that reached the finals that one year. Tried to enhance it a little more, going after Vince, and just wanting the same. So you would go and, to Phoenix after that,
0: and then they finally decide to be miserable after that, and they have a Zeller on their team. Look at that, Luke Zeller.
1: They do, along with Kendall Marshall. How about that name popping up?
0: Oh yeah, go Heels. Um. So okay anything else on the 2010 Bobcats or this particular game? I don't really have any awards to hand out. I mean, I think did it in the box score obviously has to go to Steven Jackson for the triple double. He gets the award.
1: Um, yeah, I don't have anything else either. Really? You know, it's funny. Like this is, you know, if you look up, <laughs> I looked this up earlier, please click on the Dejana Jop stat line for his career. I mean, you know, clearly the defensive guy, but man, just uh, two, I, points, I, I w- two
0: points, 3.7 rebounds, <laughs> 0.4 assists in for, 600 in 601 games for, for a long time. <laughs> I mean, an effective for, field goal percentage of 42.8, which is pretty low for a seven footer, oh, seven foot, 300 pounds.
1: It, no, not, I mean the field goal percentage being 42% for 600 games. I mean, that time, is, though. I don't think he ever averaged more than three points per game and he had a double digit season long career. I, I just, yeah, I would have, I would have, if you would have asked me how many points per game did job average for his career, I would have gone like six or seven. And not, I would have
0: did not average more than three, did not average more than three points his entire career, 2.9 I mean, in yeah.
1: 07.08. That's nuts. You, you gotta, you just, I mean, you just can't, yeah. I mean, you just, you, you marvel
0: you, you marvel at that kind of thing. There's there's no doubt about it. I I almost you could almost give a honk honk award, the all goose eggs <laughs> to Sharon Collins. One minute played, but he did champion. he managed in one minute. There needs to be an award for this to manage mm. in one minute to get an assist and a personal foul. Yeah. I don't know how you do that.
1: Uh Sharon was a champion. Uh, yeah, played for the Jayhawks. I believe might have been a freshman on that 08 team before you know we became a prominent player there. Um, I mean
0: Dominic McGuire, yeah. 0 of 05 17 minutes like what is if you know I mean just a just a miserable game here from Dominic but like you know this was the Bobcats this was you know these names that pop up and you're going like what is what is this guy getting 18 minutes for yeah um that was the that was the world they were living in I, I ultimately mean. <laughs> ultimately it was just a disappointing year for the Bobcats by the way they finished as i said 34 and 48 uh, they missed the playoffs after making the playoffs Larry mm-hmm. Brown 9 and 19 he gets he gets the boots and that's the Larry Brown it was the Larry Brown book come in uh you know rebuild the team and then get tired of it all and get fired or leave and then Paul Silas comes in to try to clean things up and does an admirable job they finished 25 and 29 yeah. on this on the rest of the season
1: yeah just we we just need to call Paul Silas every time something goes bad hey can you just deal with this bad thing please Please Come, and, and well, look. I mean, yeah. he
0: took a he took a he took an absolute bullet for this franchise. That's no, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, not, not that, that does the... not Paul Silas does not deserve to have that on his record. In fact, I don't. And when I think of Paul Silas, I wipe oh. that season away. I I, I look that. at it as a badge of honor. Thank you, Paul, for <laughs> enduring that uh, when you didn't really have to.
1: Yeah. You don't, you don't think of, when you think of Paul Silas, you think of a lot better things. I, I do like that. Like, I mean, I feel like that's kind of more so the general consensus too, for Hornets fans. When you think of Paul Silas, I don't think anybody really goes to the seven and 59 season. You go to the years where he was successful with this franchise so and you have a few to two players
0: choose from. on this team. Uh, yeah. There's names that we haven't even touched on because they didn't play in this game. Dante Cunningham, uh, Hindo again, had the injury, didn't play in this game. Uh, Eduardo Nahara, Joel Prisbilla, Garrett Temple would have a cup of coffee
1: with still the in sets. the league. Garrett Temple, I, uh, Garrett Temple still. Yeah, is there in anyone the league
0: else here. still in the league from this game?
1: You know, Sean Livingston and just DJ Augustine left. Kind of DJ, yeah. Um, Almost all gone. That's it. Dante Cunningham, by the way, that uh, on that Villanova team that played North Carolina in the final four, but would lose and Carolina would win the championship in 09. So maybe some heels know about Dante,
0: by the way, when Paul Silas took over uh, and I I don't think I'd have to look, but I don't think Steven Silas was on the staff under Larry Brown, but may have been. uh, So don't quote me on that. I'm not issuing a correction, but, um, but Steven Silas being on this Bobcat staff means I think I'll look it up. It'd be a tough one to look up. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's true. It feels true. And that's good enough in this internet era for something to feel true. But Steven Silas would be the only person I think to have coached the first run Hornets or be on the staff of the first run Hornets, the Bobcats and the second run Hornets.
1: Yeah. I don't, I can't think of anybody else that would be on that. Uh, Looking at these names, I do want to reference like here we are talking about nepotism. And we go, you know, mm-hmm. ACC infatuation, Jeff Capel. Okay. Duke, right. Been there for a while at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Ford, self-explanatory. Dave Hanners, Dave, UNC. Dave Hanners, yes, was on a staff uh, for North Carolina. I believe he won a he, championship right in right now
0: is on Huber. I think he coaches. I think he's an assistant okay. for UNC like right now.
1: Yeah, there you go. Um, Charles Oakley known mentor and, you know, a bodyguard for Michael Jordan and and MJ will forever, you know, love Charles Oakley for good reason. And then of course, Steven Silas, who is on the staff because of Paul Silas, even if Steven's a great dude, right? Like well-deserved, but yeah, obviously that's his door in.
0: And and we can and you know, we're, we're kind of wrapping up the show. Now we can dig into this on another, on another game in this year, but around the time of his firing or maybe after he was fired, but uh, Larry Brown would go on later to say that there were like spies within the organization for for the front office. That
1: were is that right? I didn't remember. That.
0: Yeah, I and mean, so some of it's probably <laughs> fair, some of it's probably unfair. But like Larry Brown really did eviscerate the franchise after he left, saying essentially that he was being sabotaged in this. Which in this is weird year.
1: because that that doesn't go towards the the Carolina Blue Mafia, right? Like Larry is a Tar Heel, and I guess it got so ugly. You know, it doesn't matter at, at that well, point. Yeah, you know. I'll say it's something
0: to watch. Uh, it's something to watch this season for the Charlotte Hornets. I think it's an interesting wrinkle that uh, you bring Steve Clifford back from the from the dead, and he's coaching again, but he's coaching with this like hybrid staff. Some of his guys, some of uh, mm-hmm. some previous holdovers from the Borrego regime. Uh, those those things more often than not. As I'm reading more about Hornets history, where this has happened before, lead to conflict more often than not. When you, the, when the you only
1: difference, over. right? The only difference now is that Steve and Jordan pretty clearly have a great relationship, and Jordan's the owner. We so will see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think. True. I think Good we'll
0: change. see if that relationship gets tested. He's already fired him once. It's true. It's true. All right, time now for America's favorite segment, the extremely classic pro basketball player of the podcast. We travel to the 1950s and find the 652nd best player of the decade, according to <laughs> AinsworthSports.com, and it is Zippy Morocco. Congratulations, Zippy. Extremely classic pro basketball Name of the week. You want some stuff on
1: Zippy? My favorite so far. We had Soup Campbell the last episode going to Zippy Morocco. That's just a fun fun name.
0: Zippy Morocco also played football. He graduated from, or I don't know if he graduated, but he played at the University of Georgia. And uh, he was called, at football, he was called the best pass receiving back I've ever coached by head coach Wally Butts. Wally Butts commenting there on zipping Rocco, but he was actually drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1951, Uh, but he was also the 652nd best basketball player, according to Ainsworth Sports.
1: Of all time? Can't be of all time.
0: 652nd best player of the 1950s not of all, oh, not gotcha. of all eras of the 1950s. I'm sorry,
1: I'm sorry. I, I knew it would not be all time I was just making sure it was like what decade we were talking about. The 50s Zippy It's a great name.
0: Zippy Morocco Alright folks that's going to do it for this edition of Every Hornet's Box Score I can't wait until we get to the next episode where we're going to talk about the modern era of Charlotte Hornets basketball post uh, 2016. We we don't have any playoff games to land on, but we have a lot of interesting stuff. We've got... Uh, you know Nick Batum's exit. We've got Kimball Walker's continued ascension. Uh, really, I mean, he would have some of his best years post that playoff series. So uh, hopefully, we land on one of his great games. You have to see. Come check it out. Make sure you're subscribed to the Substack. You can subscribe for free. I'm going to be doing game notes all regular season. Uh, so consider contributing to the Substack. To you're contributing not only to uh, the the game notes, but also to this podcast. Uh, and, and all of the information that we're providing you here. So consider that. Thank you to Walker. Subscribe to Lockdown Hornets. Until next time, go Hornets, go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.